0: Here we go.
1: You're tuning in to Will Love Listen. Now listen.
0: Hi, good after- Will. Good afternoon, Nikki. How are you?
2: I'm good, thanks. Thank you for waiting.
0: Oh, it's fine. I mean, I've been looking forward to this interview for quite some time.
2: Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you.
0: I've been like a fan of your work, and I think you are the roasting queen, so I'm definitely <laughs> looking forward to speaking to you, and there's a bunch of subject matter I want to try to cover. Great. Uh, you know, I've worked in Top 40 Radio for years, and then I have my own podcast too, but that's besides the point, point. and I know you've worked in radio, and you've been in the podcast game for 11 years now, evolving from You Had to Be There to We Know Nothing to Not Safe and finally, the highly successful Nikki Glaser podcast. So I wanted to ask you, everyone has a podcast these days. What has been your biggest learning lesson in establishing yours and becoming so successful with it?
2: Oh, thank you. Great question. Um, yeah, everyone does have a podcast. And I just want to say uh, to anyone who is thinking about starting a podcast, even when I started it 11 years ago with you had to be there, I remember the conversation that we had prior to starting it was, we can't start a podcast. Everyone has one. And that was 11 years ago. So if you think now everyone has a podcast, like don't let that deter you, you know, like that, that it's so funny to me to think back at like 11 years ago that that was what I was saying before my first one. But um, Mm -hmm. I think what helped me establish my voice was just being, you, you know, talking about what I enjoy, not trying to create a podcast that other people are going to like because what people enjoy is if you're enthusiastic and you enjoy what you're doing, people, you know, depending on what the podcast is, but when I'm doing like a comedy podcast where my goal was to just have something that people put on on their way to work or when they, you know, are doing laundry or folding clothes, whatever it is, I wanted to just give something to people that would make their day better. And what I know I enjoy is listening to people do something they enjoy and having fun doing it. And so I just made shows that worked around subject matter that I cared about and that I liked talking about. So for a while, I was having guests on my podcast and I just, in, in on my radio shows. And I realized that having guests really stressed me out. I felt like, you know, it was like having a guest over to your home. Like I just didn't feel like yeah. myself. There's like a little bit of an elevated version of yourself that I, I just was like, I was not my most comfortable. So I engineered the Nikki Glaser podcast to just be me and my, you know, best friend, Andrew, and that's it. And, you know, that was born of me just not wanting to have to like, you know, do interviews with people that weren't, you know, familiar with the show. I just wanted the show to feel like a group of friends that, you know, when you hang out with your friends and someone's like, oh, I'm going to bring my friend who's in town and you don't know them and you're like oh everyone's gonna be on the best behavior it's gonna be like a different kind of vibe exactly yeah i just never want to have that on my show and um so nothing i'll never have guests but i just got to a point where i'm like i just need to make a show that is me at my best self and that's how i kind of you know i'm lucky enough now to have a career where i don't have to really do things that i don't want to do and so i just kind of choose things that are going to be genuinely fun so i don't have to fake it Because I just, I'm tired of faking it. It's exhausting.
0: But you gave great advice because so many people start a podcast and they try to like angle it some type of way. And when you listen to it, it comes across regardless as to how good someone is at faking it.
2: Yeah. Like pick something that you can talk about for a thousand episodes. You know, like if you are into murders, okay, there's a ton of those. But what's, what do you like about murders? Like what can you bring to that? That's going to be enthusiastic. That's going to get people you, you know, like, when I watch TV, a lot of times, I, this is my true secret to, like, being successful, <laughs> that if you want to be, like, a on TV and be successful, people like watching people who are having fun. That is what I've learned. And a lot of times on TV shows, people will be like, oh, my God, you were so funny on blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, yeah I'm funny. Like, I'll, I'll admit to that. But a lot of times, I just laugh a lot. I'm just having fun. And people... Get funny and having fun mixed up. So a lot of times if you just laugh at people that are funny and genuinely like let it loose, like not fake laugh, but like have a good time. People think you're funny. They think you are somehow responsible for the things you're laughing at. They 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 associate it with you. So there have been times where people are like, You were so funny on that thing. And I and I know for a fact I didn't even get a word in. I was just (laughs) laughing the whole time. And and that's I know that when I listen to shows, I just I like hearing people laughing, you know, fake laughing is a whole other, you know, thing that a lot of people do that is obnoxious. But if you're just having fun, what doing what you're doing, uh, people, you know, and there are some subjects where you shouldn't be laughing if if your podcast is about something, you know, harrowing or whatever. But um, yeah, just just showing enthusiasm and and really truly enjoying it is, is the key.
0: Well, those are some good tips, and I think everyone could benefit off of that because it's it's so hard to get, like, your a podcast noticed nowadays because, you know, yes. there's a plethora of them. And it's funny that you said when you started in the game, you thought there were so many, and now it's, like, overload.
2: It's so funny to think that, like, 11 years ago, we literally said everyone has one. It's just, like, that just tells me, though, right now when you're saying it, 11 years from now, you're still going to be saying it. So just do it now. Like, don't don't let that be an excuse to not do one. Because I think that's... A lot of people just have fears of putting themselves out there. And like, what if no one listens? Well, no one will. But if you have two listeners, that's something. And honestly, thank God no one listens to your first podcast. Because it takes... You know, it takes thousands of hours to get good at something. And if you're wanting to be a broadcaster or have a successful podcast, get those hours under your belt now. Make a podcast that no one's going to hear just so you get the the, the practice because, you know, th- that's what you're going to need to be truly successful. I mean, there are, you know, times where people just, oh, my first podcast, it's a hit. But gen- generally, you're going to need a lot of practice to get good at this weird thing of talking into a microphone. Um, which seems so easy, but it's not
0: I mean you said it best. I mean it t- things take <laughs> practice and having b- yes. worked in radio For like a decade. I you know, I started at a small station before I started working at top 40 stations, So I, I you know, I feel you Net- Yeah,
2: people just want success right away with anything and people need to be more self-aware about the fact that You know talent isn't just something you're born with. I think people really get that stuck in their heads because whenever we see talented people, they emerge out of nowhere. You know, we don't see the hard work that goes behind it. And so we just think that like, we should just come out of the gate, like just killing it. But, um, you know, it it just doesn't work that way. You really need to get those hours in. And it's never too late to start. I think some people are just like, I'm too old to start a career in podcasting. It's like, I just started playing guitar a year ago and I, I kind of realized, Oh, okay. Well, you know, Taylor Swift started when she was 11 and then by the time she was 17, she had a record deal. I'll give myself six years. Like, <laughs> what if I really work hard, you know, like
0: it's you can true. Do, yeah. You can
2: do, it doesn't. And when you're an adult and you're older, you can really practice in more efficient ways. And so you can actually get better quicker, but you know, I don't think it's ever too late to start anything. You kind of want to, you've always secretly wanted to do, even though it can be embarrassing.
0: No, I totally, totally agree. And Speaking of starting things in April, you kick off your stand-up tour. What could fans expect on this tour?
2: Um, well, they can expect me having fun on stage. Essentially, <laughs> it's like I don't even know what at that point what I'm going to be talking about on stage because yeah, that was I was going to ask You know, yeah. my act really takes uh, a life of its own while I'm on tour, and that's a great date though. Essentially, on, on this tour because I will have been I start going on tour I think in, in yeah in April, and so by May. I'm going to be really comfortable and really just knowing what works, what doesn't, and just have like in the, in the pocket, you know? So I'm not going to lie. There are certain times like on tours in the beginning where it's not as good of a performance as the one in the middle or the end. And that's not to say that you won't witness things in the beginning that are hilarious and like missteps that are part of the entertainment of a live show. But I just feel like by the time I get to New Jersey, it's, that's like a really sweet spot of a tour is in the middle where you're just like, you, you, the things that you're doing aren't old to you yet. You know, you're still excited about some new stuff that you come up with and everything's just really like working like clockwork. So, yeah, I mean, I'm still just talking about my like, you know, journey with that like self acceptance and, you know, dealing with the pressures of being an adult and feeling like not enough and you know all just trying to talk about things that are relatable to anyone of of any age and like how I'm coping with all of it and you know making fun of it and you know I'm still struggling with all the same things that I was struggling with before things were really good for me and so I always try to make it I always try to give um people a peek into whatever kind of world they think I'm living in now making tv because uh, that's always what I wanted to know from celebrities is like, what's it really like? So I like to kind of give them a little like behind the scenes, like kind of gossip type thing, like Kathy Griffin esque. Yeah. And then also, you know, t- talk about things that they, that everyone can relate to. Because more than anything, that's, I'm, 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 I'm very, I have to say, I'm, I'm still very relatable. I don't, I don't think of myself as any um any anyone special i just I'm, I'm sometimes blown away that i get to speak into a microphone and have a bunch of people listen to me so i always just try to have a good time and give people their money's worth you know
0: yeah no i agree and i i'm always interviewing comedians like because uh, i'm like a big comedy buff like i've interviewed everyone from chelsea handler the Margaret show lisa Lampinelli, who by the way lisa m oh. Lampinelli, i just interviewed her like a week ago and she gave you like a lot of credit So Uh, yeah, you got brought up during that. No, she adores you. That
2: makes me so happy. Oh, she's the best. But she's uh, she's just someone that I become friends with, you know, after already being a huge fan of her. And she's just someone that I, you know, we really relate to each other because we kind of got to this point in our careers where we're like, comedy kind of is insincere and mean, and it's masking a lot of the pain that's behind. Every, every, like, all, all that we do. And it's, it's a lot of just, like, showboating. And it's just a lot of lies. And we just kind of are wanting to more deal with the truth. And so Lisa and I have both have have had, in, you know, the past couple of years, just these realizations of, like, what, what is this? What is comedy? And, like, how can I, what can I do with it that doesn't make me feel like I'm being, I, I, what can I do to, like, actually get through to people and make them feel better about themselves like is that possible to do that with comedy and we're both kind of setting out to do that
0: yeah and i think it's great and and you know having where i was sort of going originally was having interviewed so many comics over my career i noticed with you you come off so relatable like i feel like some Uh comics become big and then it's sort of you know there's a little bit of a business side of things that start to take play but i feel like with you you come off very authentic and that's why fans are drawn to oh, you. Oh,
2: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I, um, you know, I recently moved back to like during the pandemic, I moved back to St. Louis, and I, I have an e show coming out, um, an e reality show, as relatable as that is. Um, in in May first, and it's following me and my family, and just my like kind of like small life in in St. Louis after having spent the you know past decade and a half in New York or L.A. Kind of in, in the mix. So it's, yeah, I mean, I, because that's who I am, essentially, like, I, I'm kind of disgusted by the industry, as much as I benefit from people treating me, like, better, because I've been on TV more, or I'm a little, I have more followers, like, you see it happen where, you know, people that used to never talk to you suddenly want to be friends, Yeah. and you go, oh my god, I thought you were just a cunt, now I realize <laughs> you're just, like, I, I used to respect you when you just didn't like me. Now I realize it was because I wasn't famous. Like, that's so gross. And, um, yeah, there's just, like, I, I, I have to really work hard, though, to not let the the perks of being, quote-unquote, famous, whatever that is. Or, you know, I, I barely even, you know, I, I don't count myself as saying that word. You, you seem like you're bragging. But, you know, more people know who I am. But, like, yeah, I think it's, I really have to work on not making that giving myself an inflated ego it's kind of hard it's i gotta be honest when you know it's like when you're on a first class flight you kind of just get the people are waiting on you You go am i better than everyone in the back like there's a little bit of it, it seeps in and so when you're treated like that on set all day long for weeks at a time it's hard to i really have to work to remember like i just got lucky i'm not better than anyone else i'm not more talented i Yeah, I worked, everyone's like, no, Nikki, you worked hard and you deserve this. And it's like, no, I got lucky that I was born with a brain that wants to work hard at this thing that people seem to be, I'm sorry, I'm running into something. Hi, hi. Um, That's that, um, I got lucky that I have a brain that is able to work hard. I think it's all luck. I don't really think like, I deserve this because I've put myself, I, I put myself out there and I've struggled. It's like, well, I was also, born into a family that you know let me like my parents used to like pay my rent when I couldn't make rent because I was pursuing my comedy career so like is 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 that hard work you know yeah they were they they allowed me to not have to do work hard work waitressing you know like because they paid my rent. so I just I'm really reluctant to ever kind of accept this like you deserve to bask in in your fame now because you've worked so hard I'm just like no I'm just lucky and so I just, I don't, I really like to have these like reality checks of like, don't stop thinking you're more special than anyone else because you're on TV. Because it's hard. We all think people on TV are more special, including it's, myself.
0: It's true, yeah. But I mean, like, kudos for that though, because it's like, it seems like you really keep yourself in check and you don't have to, you know?
2: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, it, it, you could let it go to your head, but you know what? I do have to if I want to keep people around me who my, my family and friends who have known me before all of this would not put up with a person that behaves that way. And like, I know I've had friends who get famous and they change and I've seen it happen. So, and it's not even their fault. It's really hard to not let it get to you. It's almost like it's brainwashing. You just like, it's, it's almost impossible. And so I just, I just want to keep my fr- friends and family and I don't want them to think differently of me and i know that any friends or family i would replace with them you know as someone who thinks i'm better would only be like fake friends who will then abandon me when my star eventually does fall because it always does like no one's immune to the cycle of show business where it comes and goes so anytime i'm on my high horse i always remind myself like you're a woman you're aging Aww. some you have you're kind of a loud mouth at some point you're going to say something and people are going to have an excuse to discount you and say you're done and we don't want to hear from her anymore and she sucks. And then I'll go away and then I'll have to go away for like a year and a half and then (laughs) slowly, I'll I'll work my way back doing the right kind of press. And then people will be like, oh, we remember her. Oh, she's she's a new look. And then they'll go, okay, maybe we like her. And some people will be like, no, we still hate her. And it's just, that's the cycle. It'll just, it'll happen like that the rest of my life if I'm lucky. If, I, if I'm not lucky, you, you just get canceled forever. But then I'll just start a bird rescue and, and be with the birds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any birds yet, but that's
0: the plan. Oh, man. Well, I was. it's funny that you started talking about Welcome Home, Nikki Glaser, because I was going to ask you about that next. Because um, I know it premieres May 1st on E! And we see you return to your hometown of St. Louis and live with your family in your childhood home. What could we expect on this uh, series? Um, any tidbits you could give us? Uh,
2: yes. You can see me... Looking like hell. <laughs> I did not. So sorry. Hold on. There's. Let me get in. I did not prepare at all for a re- Like I didn't buy new clothes. I didn't get my hair and makeup done for every scene. I didn't clean my room. I didn't. I didn't do anything to like make myself look cooler or better for the show because I wanted it to actually be what I am like. You know. In my life, you know, I wanted I wanted to be as close to reality as possible, knowing damn well that reality shows are often not at
0: all. Oh, like, no. Yeah, it's
2: really going on. So um, but they can see just me uh, trying to get back with my ex-boyfriend who lives in St. Louis, too. So there's that whole saga going on. And that's a genuine thing that, you know, like they can see a real, real drama. Um, they can see my hilarious parents. My mom is one of the funniest people ever I mean she is just it it enrages me because she's just naturally funny everything she says people just laugh at because it's just the way she talks so you'll see my dynamic with my parents with my sister with my best friend um, my roommate it's just um me on the road versus me at home me you know trying to do a mute like record songs and try out something I'm very new and you know not very good at yet so it's just a real kind of slice of my life now that I'm kind of out of Hollywood and, and not really w- wanting to be. I really I moved back here for the pandemic to live with my parents because I was in between apartments and everything. and And then it just turned into me living with my parents for 10 months. And then I eventually was going to move out. And I was like, I don't even want to go back to New York or L.A. Like, I just feel like I can do my career from here. So it's just me. Getting my own place in St. Louis and really trying to figure out what my life could look like here, and really realizing that people do not give a shit about famous people in St. Louis. They don't care. It's, it's <laughs> hilarious, and that's one of the things I love about it. Like, I don't, I don't feel any different than I did in high school living here, and it's it's pretty
0: refreshing. See, that'll be fun to watch because. I have been a big reality TV buff for God like over 15 years now. And I feel like shows like Same. 15, 20 years ago were so less produced than nowadays. It's almost yes. like, like watching a produced show because it's like you need storylines, you need this, you need that. So it's, it, you know, there's really no reality in in it anymore. So this will be I fun.
2: Agree.
0: And you'll probably have a lot to it's talk a about. Really, oh, yes. I'm sorry. What and were you, you going
2: know, to say? Like, sh- oh, sorry um reality shows just aren't funny either you know like Mm. people they're funny unintentionally but like this is one with someone who you know i'm a comedian and then like my roommate's a comedian so like it's gonna be it's funny you know it's like funny people in a reality show so it's just it's that that's that added element too like i i love reality shows it's all i've ever watched and so it was a kind of my dream I, you know, I told my agent manager years ago, like, I want to make a shift to doing just reality. And so, and they're like, "Eh, sure. Like, "Mm." and I'm like, why do I keep going out for scripted shows and trying to make scripted shows? I don't even watch scripted shows. I just watch reality. So, um, that kind of turn in my career has been just so awesome because it led to F-Way Island, which is like the best job ever because I got to host this reality show that I've completely Enraptured by and invested in and and then also this reality show that i'm doing now with e welcome home nikki glazer question mark um (laughs) that is my true like is my true dream is like not having to learn lines not having to worry about what are what am i gonna do the next day hair and makeup for hours i just got to be me and just have cameras around it was so easy i mean i'm already like an open book when it comes to my stand-up and podcasting so this was not a stretch for me to just be followed around by camera. It's kind of been my dream, like I, And it's so it was so easy. I hate to say that, but like a lot of work in this in show business is hard and time consuming, and this was all those things. But I, it was all the fun parts of it. Like you know, it was just me living my life on camera. I didn't have to do anything. I just have to live, and then they shot it, and then I make a show. It was, it was crazy. It was so fun.
0: Now, speaking of uh, FBoy Island on HBO Max, how was it hosting that? And was that one of those series that wasn't really produced at all? Like other reality TV shows? Like, what was your uh, take on um, that?
2: Well, that, you know, is a very highly produced show because it's a dating show that relies on... F Boy Island is a produced show much more than, you know, uh, Welcome Home, Nikki Glaser because it relied on elimination ceremonies and group dates and one-on-one dates and all the things that we expect from a dating reality show. But I, I, I enjoy what, what that show taught me is that although it is highly produced, the emotions that come out of all of that production are real. You know, these people are placed in a pressure cooker of romance where they're, they don't have their phones. They don't have their friends. They don't have their family. And all they do all day is go on dates, hang out with the boys they like, and then go on interviews where they talk about the boys they like. So, like, you will fall in love so fast. So it's it's not, it, nothing about it was fake to me. It was, all the emotions are real. And that's what was so captivating to learn about these shows is that, yeah, this would never happen on the outside world. That girl might not ever fall in love with that guy. But in this situation, of course she will. And it's and it's real. It really is real. These people aren't fake crying. They're not fake upset. They're, they're put in a situation that is completely... Fabricated and fake, but that doesn't mean the feelings and emotions that come out of it aren't real and it is um, And that shows awesome for me to do too because I'm not the one getting heartbroken and Going through everything that the cast members are going through I just get to come in and be like who are you eliminating tonight and then like make fun of them. It was it's awesome It's the best it's the best gig ever. I absolutely love I, I love it
0: You raised a good point too because if they don't have their phones, which I think is like a big deal Problem in the dating world today, but if they don't have their phones and have access to so many options It forces them to get to know whoever they're paired with.
2: It really is like you're on a desert island with someone You will end up liking them. It just isn't you don't really have a choice. Your brains are not as like we're not as
0: Overwhelmed overstimulated. Yeah,
2: yeah, like you it's you know through the years of reality TV these producers have pass down what they've learned from making it, and they know the perfect ingredients to make romantic drama. And it's not, these people aren't good enough actors to do this stuff. You know, like I I know, I've, I've witnessed it now and I see how it's made and the situations lead these people to feel heightened senses of emotions that they wouldn't, you know, because we are making, people go, how can they fall in love in three weeks to the point where they want to get engaged? Well, those three weeks, they've spent more time talking about the person, seeing the person than most people spend in, you know, nine months of dating. You know, we put that all into three weeks. We pack it in. I mean, these people are just living and breathing a partner. Like that's all they're doing. There's no other things they're talking about. It's all they're there for. And so when that's all you're focused on, it's going to it's going to happen it's it, in a much quicker time and so i always everything i always used to roll my eyes about about these reality shows i now see is like no it's it's real it's it's you know the situations are it's like what it's like um like going to the zoo it's like watching you know we're trying to get uh yeah pandas to mate you know like they don't have options there's just only one other panda in this habitat and it might be an f-boy it might be an f-panda <laughs>
0: See, I would love to be on a show like that because, and you could tell me if you agree with this, because quite frankly, I fucking hate being single and dating today. I think it's the absolute worst. Yes. I feel like people get attached instantly and detach and start ghosting after a few months because they get bored, they play head games, they're... They have so many options with all these apps. And I think it's even worse being gay and dating. So I just fucking hate it. But you can tell me your thoughts. Because you're, you're single currently. I can't currently.
2: even imagine what it would be like to be a gay man dating. Honestly. like
0: It's fucking like horrible. <laughs> I mean.
2: Because. I mean. Because. I mean. Everyone always says like. Oh my God. It'd be so great to be a gay man. Because. No. It would not. You know. Both parties just want to have sex right away. And they just cut to the chase. And there's not all this like. You know. There's not these games. You're just playing kind of the same game. And, and it's not like. But I think it would be so difficult because of that, because yeah, if it, you do want a meaningful relationship, you're dealing with most men are just looking to, like, fucking run. And
0: period. And I feel like that's universal. I feel like it's straight by, but I feel it like is. it's it's very more, it's even more prominent with gay men because, mm-hmm. you know, you have two men and, you know, they're, they just like sex. So the thing is with gay dating is it's easy to get laid, but it's difficult to find anything of substance outside of that.
2: Honestly, I think that the, the the trick is, and I've learned this from reading a lot of books about uh, male behavior and how... And, and just, I, I've read a lot of books about how to essentially trick men into loving you and, like, being committed to you despite their, you know, hu- human nature to just fucking and spread their seed. Yeah. And it's, don't have sex with them until you get the commitment you want. And, like, he, That men want what they can't. We just saw it on The Bachelor, you know. Like that guy. Like I don't know if you're familiar with Bachelor, but he had it down to three women. He went on two Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, what what is it called when they go in that like fucking room and they fuck?
0: Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I I don't know the name of it. I
2: forget what it's called. But you know, it's the final three. He has sex with two of them, and then the third girl, who he's planning on having sex with, too. He um And he's told that he, he loves the, the first two. Then the third one, she's like, have you been intimate with other girls? And he's like, yes. And she's like, no, sorry, not going to do that. And she leaves the show. Guess which girl he's now in love with? The one who didn't have sex with him, the one who he couldn't get. And it's it's not about like tricking them and like kind of withholding, but it's about not giving that thing to them that is that men tend to not respect despite it's not about like whether you're respectable or not if you want to have sex I mean men and women both want to have sex right away but like having the ability to say you know I'm not doing that because I know how crazy I get after sex I'm gonna get very attached and I want to protect myself until I know that you're like the real deal and I just I mean I could have told these girls like do not sleep with them if you want to win this show be the one that's less interested the one that has their own thing going on the one that is hard to pin down don't give him everything because I think we're just so trained to give people what they want. You know, like yeah. you're a nice person. If you love this person and they want this thing, then you give it to them because that's what a loving person does. But it's works the opposite when it comes to trying to get a commitment from a man, men really want a woman or an, I'm guessing another man. I can't speak to the uh, heteros- uh the homosexual experience, but like I think men and women want someone who respects themselves and isn't going to just give it away to anyone and i think that when women sleep with men too soon there's a secret part of a man's brain that's like well that was easy well can i trust her with any other man out there and it just makes you lose a little respect and as, as dumb as that is because girls will be like "Oh, no, i wouldn't sleep with them i'm only something because i love you i'm not going to do that for everyone else but they people want to work for it and it took me 35 years to learn that. I mean, I'm back with, you know, I was dating my ex-boyfriend again. And that you see happened on uh, Welcome Home, Nikki Glazer. And I always have to say it with a question mark at the end. <laughs> um, and I, you know, he was the one that I was with for years. And we, you know, after we broke up, we would still have sex here and there. And, and I was always trying to get him back to, like, loving me again and then the last time we we took a couple of years off, and then the last time we started hanging out again, you know, we both were like, let's, you know, we're friends, but let's, like, hook up. We're not hugging up with anyone else. And, you know, kind of flabbergasted him by saying, oh, we can do anything, but I'm not having sex with you. Uh-huh. We can do everything else. And he was just, I mean, this is someone I've already had sex with, so it's not yeah. like I was, like, keeping something away from him that he didn't. He was like, oh, it could be so good. Like, he knew what it was. But the fact that I was, like, I just told him that um, that hole is for my husband." and you're not my husband and so until you are and it's not that's not me being like you better be my husband it's just me saying like let's have fun but like i'm saving that for my husband i just don't want to do that anymore until i'm with someone who like can really cherish me and love me as much as i love them that's not a gig on you we're just not there yet so that's that's you know off limits and he was just like at first he was very taken aback and like not upset but just like wait what but I swear to you, it really changed our dynamic. And he just realized that I'm a different person than I was. Like I just, I respect myself more. I, um, my heart isn't something that can be, just. I, I'm not just going to give it away to anyone. I'm, I'm, I'm. I have, I have a goal in mind, and I'm, I have, uh, you know, autonomy over my body. And it just, it made him look at me differently, and like a really amazing way. And it was just something that I was like, we're not doing that until I feel safe. And which was totally rewriting the script for us. So you can kind of do this at any point um, and just re- like kind of, and, and it sucks because you're like, no, I want to have sex. I don't want to like miss out. There's other things you can do. Let's all just face the facts. Like yeah. you cannot do that one thing. Um, in if in, in, it, it means protecting your heart, because I know that when I have sex with someone and, and I'm talking about any kind of sex and I'm someone who very much enjoys anal penetration. So I like, I, and that is definitely what you'll hear about in my act of, you know, oh, fun. This, this summer, spring. I talk about it so much, I'm trying to get everyone into it. Um, <laughs> but even that, it's like, after someone penetrates you, you, there's, there's a part of my brain, and like, especially if I have an orgasm that shoots off a lot of oxytocin, and I get addicted to that person. And so now I just have to make choices for myself, even though they go against what I actually want. And I have to go, no, because I know on the other side of this, I'm gonna go crazy. Sorry for the siren. Oh, it's okay. um, uh, yeah, so sorry I talked too much about that, but I just, um, yeah, I'm very, this is what you're going to hear.
0: Uh,
2: sorry,
0: it's so annoying. I'm so sorry. No, it's um, it, it, it'll go great when people hear it. <laughs>
2: yes. So, yeah, I just think that it's, this is all, the all the things I've learned from reading all these books is kind of what I'm trying to, seminate to crowds through humor now and just trying to teach people about like our natural instincts as humans and how you know just because something you want to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do like sometimes i want to kick my dog not because i'm angry but because i just think it would be like it would feel funny on my foot and i just want to see how far she would fly but i don't do it just because i want to do it i don't do it because it would hurt her you know like people always go but i want to and it's like okay but you don't get to do everything you want to do sometimes i want to you know run over someone with my car but i don't do it so like when it comes to sex and stuff like that i think that a lot of times people just excuse their bad behavior with like but i want to and it's like that's not an excuse and i want to be clear i don't kick my dog that was just a joke but like there is a part of her that like looks like a little football sometimes i'm just like what would it feel like, like well, it would be fun but obviously i'd never ever do it because it would it doesn't give me the results in life that i want
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. And I honestly think the ambulance had a great effect because it's a dating emergency and you gave some really good advice that I feel we could all benefit from. Thank you. Now, I just have, I know I'm like keeping you a bit. So um, I just have one last question. You are the, you're the roasting queen and you do it so effortlessly. Uh, I gotta give you credit. Now, of all the people you've read, who has been your favorite roast? My
2: favorite roast... Um, I would say it was the last roast. It was the roast of Alec Baldwin was my favorite because I had already done two. It was my third. And I was just so comfortable with the kind of style of roasting I do. And it was also, it was so fun because I had to, you know, I, I just was, I knew what I was in for. And so I knew exactly, it takes a while, like anything, it takes practice to come up with like, what your style is. So at that point I was comfortable enough to go into it being like, okay, I have some goals here. I want to, I want to, you know, Caitlyn Jenner's there, but I want to try to make all my jokes not having to do with her being trans. Like let's, that's a goal. Like let's do the hard thing here, which is like not doing the obvious joke. Another goal was like, let's do a bunch of jokes about Blake Griffin, but I want them all to be about how I want to fuck him. <laughs> um, I let's to, you know, like it was just, and I was able to be, like, a lot looser and just... And I think that Alec Baldwin was just so fun to... I mean, he was just easy to roast. There was just a lot to work with. I was much more familiar with Alec Baldwin than I was Rob Lowe or um, Bruce Willis. So it was just... And it just being my last... Well, not my last, final one, but, like, the the third. It was just, like, having... Just having that practice there. And... But I'll tell you, it is... Roasting, I'm, like scared of even being asked to do another one because I tell really? all my friends when I'm doing them like right before it happens I'm usually losing my mind because it's just such a stressful thing and you I work so hard and it's not a lot of time to work and you're writing all these jokes and you don't even know how they're gonna go because the circumstance is so specific that you can't even like recreate it to run these jokes like I go to clubs and I just tell the audience like okay imagine Alex Baldwin's here imagine Caitlyn Jenner's here imagine Blake you know like it's and it's not the same so you some jokes that'll kill in the club you don't know how they're going to do outside of it um but and whenever I am about to do these roasts I always tell my friends because I'm usually like sleepless and stressed and I think I'm going to do bad and I hate my jokes because I don't even know and I go don't ever let me do another one of these because I just am losing my mind and then it's like I compare it to how women are when they're When they give birth (laughs) and they're like, I'm never doing this again. And then as soon as the baby comes up, they're like, I want another. So that's, that's how roasting is for me. It's, it's absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done in the business. The most,
1: really, the most stressful
2: thing. Yes. Because there's a ton, I usually get asked last because I'm the least famous on the bill (laughs) and they're usually, you know, trying to fill the, at this point now I think like, okay, I'm a shoe in, but you never really know because they're usually trying to stack the deck with really famous people. And then they fill it in with like a couple comics that those famous people have never heard of. And then, and so I'm always waiting, you know, it's usually two or three weeks before, and then it's just like, Oh my God, I got to now learn about all these people I'm roasting. And I have to write, I have to research them to be able to write jokes about them. And I have to switch my brain into the most negative place ever. Because in order to write roast jokes, you have to just be a hateful son of a bitch. Like I, I, I call it I'm I'll be like I'll start being like mean to my friends and family and just saying really awful, nasty things like about strangers. And my friends will just like stare at me and go roast mode. And I'm like, oh, it's fucking roast mode. Like <laughs> you really have to have a dark cloud in your like you just have to be a Trumpy really. Yeah. for like Three weeks and just hate everyone that isn't you. And think of the worst thing to say about them, and the thing that's going to be like the worst. You because otherwise you can't write these jokes. They're supposed to be the, the most cruel things ever, and um, and you also know that they're coming for you, so you want to be able to
0: bounce back. You know, g-
2: yes, exactly. You want to be able, to, and you're kind of you're you're kind of preparing for that too, because the first roast. I remember I didn't even think about the jokes that were going to be about me until I was on the red carpet doing some interviews right before, and they were like. So how are you feeling about tonight? Are you ready for all the jokes about you? And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't even think about how how I'm about to get insulted. And then you sit there all night and people call you ugly. People call you, you know, just make fun of your appearance, make fun of how you're not funny, all these things. And it's just and that's a lot mentally. It Probably. doesn't hurt until the crowd laughs. So the crowd wouldn't laugh when people would say I wasn't funny because I just I always go first, and so they've seen I'm funny. And so the crowd's just like, okay, that joke didn't work. But then they say you look like Owen Wilson, and the roof blows off the place, and you're like, okay, well there might be some credibility to that. Oh okay. <laughs> god! Well, I guess I gotta look into that as soon as this thing's over. So afterwards, you're kind of in this fog of like, fuck, like is that true? And and it ta- it you know you gotta you gotta just become a real big bully to to go into these things like it just it's a it's an ugly part of myself that i let unleash for those like the month prior to it and i store her away for the rest of the year so it's it's not it's like the olympics honestly it's just like you just sleep breathe and eat like cruelty like leading up to it and it just i think my skin suffers afterwards like everything about you it's just negativity you know but afterwards it's like a huge payoff because i think that the biggest my biggest exposure and my you know the thing i'm known most for is roast jokes so i'm grateful for it but it's it does take a toll
0: okay interesting i mean now that it feels like it's like very like psychological in a way because it's like you know you need to defend yourself and then you're worrying about like if what people said could you know you laugh at it then but then you're like wait is this true so i could imagine
2: and you have to be mean to people's faces like that's another thing that i just You just turn off, I can't think of, people always go, how did you say that to that person while they were sitting right there? And I go, because I didn't think about how I have to say it to their face until I was literally up there when it was not up to me anymore. You know, like I had no choice because if you think about it, like, which obviously I am thinking about it subconscious. I'm just the whole time being like, am I going to say this while this person is in my periphery, like staring at me? And it's like, yeah, that's, that's the job you said. That's why other people don't do this. Like that's why you're doing this is because you somehow have come up with a technique that you can, you can do this. It's not, this isn't easy to do. And so I just, everything about it is, is rather painful, but the payoff is so great that I, you know, and I love roast jokes. I love writing jokes. You know, a lot of my comedy now is more like long form and within my longer bits, there's always like really hard hitting, you know, tight punchlines. I like, I, but I started out as like a one-liner comic. Like my favorite comics are like, Mitch Hedberg and Dimitri Martin and, um, you know, uh, Dan Mintz, like these really impeccable and Anthony Desselnik, these guys, I love like impeccable one-liners, but, um, and that's what I love about Rose is that you kind of get back to that. You can't go on longer form bits. It's just joke, joke. It's just joke for joke. and And I really enjoy that.
0: Oh, I hate that we have to wrap up this conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for yeah. hours. <laughs>
2: Likewise. Thank you so much for such a, for letting me go. And and it only ran long because of me, so I
0: appreciate it. No, I love it. I, you're so easy to talk to. I'm, I'm inter- I interview people left and right. I thought it was funny earlier how you talked about those podcasts where people interview people all the time. I mean, that's like me for, yeah. for the magazine and with my podcast. I interview people left and right, and I never know... You know what, I'm going to get back, but it's so easy to speak uh, to you. The
2: other thing, I get so nervous. I always take that into consideration. So I try to be as cool as possible because I know how much people can suck sometimes.
0: <laughs> but no, you're. So, you're, uh, you're my hats you're, off you're, to you. Oh, thank you. But you're great. You're so easy to speak to. I, I, I don't imagine how anyone could have difficulty talking uh, to you at all.
2: Thank you. Tell your friends. Um, I, yes, I love talking to you. I hope we can uh, do another thing someday too. So, like, yeah. Yeah, Anytime. definitely. And,
0: um, I'm going
2: to be in. I'll be, uh, come see me and, and we'll hook you up with tickets if, if you're available to go in, in the area. I'd love to meet you.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely going to be there. I was just going to ask her, you're going to be doing Great. meeting greets that night, but.
2: Yes, yes, yeah. Just DM me on Instagram or like stop by the merch booth and tell them like, hey, I interviewed Mickey, and, and they'll get you. But, but DM me on Instagram. I'll
0: see it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'll be at uh, tag yeah, you and DM I'll make sure me. I'll be
2: sure to get you hooked
0: up. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. It con- was so lovely talking
0: to you. You too. Congratulations Bye. on all the success too. Thank you.
2: You're so
0: sweet. All right. Also, I'll see you in May. All right. See
2: you in May. All right.
0: Bye. Bye. Raising a glass to Nikki Glaser, who's probably my favorite comedian right now. I know that changes by the minute with how many comedians come on the podcast. Because we also got Lisa Lampinelli, Margaret Show coming on this season, but right now, Nikki's number one.
1: We're just <laughs> so funny people. Like, <laughs> we just love it. We love that you you get so many comedians because we love to laugh. Like who doesn't love to laugh?
0: We do. We do. And comedy is the solution for all heartache and heartbreak. I feel.
1: Yeah, and she touched upon some really good points.
0: She really did, especially about commitment and about if you want someone to come in and take you seriously, you don't put out right away. You don't make yourself easy and then expect that it'll go to more because why buy the cow when you get the milk for free?
1: I've never said, I've never heard that saying. In my life. I might be
0: fucking it up, but I think y- you get where I'm going with it. <laughs>
1: why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? But I definitely get the whole like waiting and taking your time before you actually become intimate with somebody. Like, I have to take my time because I can also get attached to people, especially if the sex is good. Yes. And I feel like seen and I feel safe. Then all of a sudden it's like, we had sex once and you're my boyfriend. Sorry. That's just how it's going to be. I think that's what happened with my ex, to be honest. And I got I got pretty attached. So, well, yeah,
0: no, I, I well, that's the same thing happened to me. And Nikki said herself that she said, quote, I know if I have sex with someone, I get very attached. Men want what they can't have. If you find a guy to be the real deal, do everything except anal sex and or intercourse, protect your heart and illustrate that you want more than a typical fucking run. And she says, unquote, and she says that's what she tells her contestants on HBO Max's F Boy Island, which is in its second season that she hosts. And I think that's great advice, because if you give it all at once, you know, they're going to know, oh, shit, I got this why the fuck do I need a change? Because I got it straight off the bat. So
1: so then how does it work? This would be my first time pursuing just just like casual and seeing where it could go, right? I'm not looking for a man or a boyfriend.
0: Well, if that's the case, then, you know, just go.
1: I'm so bad at it.
0: Well, I mean, clearly I'm not the best because judging by my last experience with, I don't know, it. Is, should that be called a relationship, a situationship? Or maybe it's just what I needed to write a future book about Narcissist 101, red flags only.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but um, no, but for real, because <clears throat> my last situation, I thought about it. Mm-hmm. I would have never gotten involved with that loser if I was not in a bad space, because I was very lonely from the pandemic Which was in March 2020 to summer 2020 through summer 2021. I was going in and out of the office. Sometimes I would be remote, but then we would be back on site, remote back on site. So, summer 2021 is when I finally just became almost entirely fully remote. And although I love that, because I do love the flexibility it brings to life, it increased my loneliness. I had more time to myself and to be in my head. And I also had like, I have some friends that they're not spontaneous like me, you know, everything needs to be pre-planned and I'm a very spontaneous person. So I think everything just coupled together, I started feeling more lonely and I was dating guys from summer 2021 through the fall. And I was not liking anyone I was meeting.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I just feel like they would all play games like, and everyone plays games now. And that's horrible. If you want something, Don't play the game things. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. But alas, I was involved with a lot of tools. And then I got involved with the narcissist. And it was like, it put me through the ringer. And now that I'm out of that whole fiasco, I've learned a lot. There were a lot of red flags with him, which I ignored straight out of the gate. And we could just go down the list. He did not work, much less have a career. That's a major red flag that I ignored. Initially, number two, he didn't have a car, much less a driver's license. Number three, the reason for the a for Z was because he depended on his father for everything. Because his father was wealthy and did well. And that's why he didn't even have his own bank account, which was not attached to his father. He also was not flexible sexually. Now... We fooled around a lot. That was a big catalyst for us getting along, yeah, um and things going further because we had very strong sexual chemistry, but at the same time, it wasn't flexible.
1: Like it, his body wasn't flexible. What do you mean flexible?
0: No, like he wanted to do what he wanted to do. Like he never wanted to mix it up. It was all about what he wanted. Yeah, oh. that's a red flag because he was being fulfilled, and I feel like I wasn't being fulfilled. And another red flag was the fact that during the first almost two months, he lied and he told me that he had a job and that he this was what he did for a living. And then when he got COVID, which I subjected myself to being around him, because I brought him over herbs and antibiotics and all this shit that I had, because I'm a very nurturing person. He told me that he never what he wasn't working and that he just said that. Because he didn't want to be judged, which I could understand. But at the same time, that's a red flag because you're a liar. You're admitting that you lied the first two months.
1: If someone Um, lied about their height on the dating app, (laughs) like if some guy's like, I'm (laughs) fat. (laughs) <laughs> six six two, and then you meet him, you're like, bro, you're five nine. Like, would you
0: see that as a red flag, or would you? Yeah, I would. I mean, I would kind of. He's that's insecure, itty. See, I'm honest. I'm like a shorty, but I'm not an insecure shorty. So you know, I'm five five. So it says five five on my fucking profile. I'm not gonna say I'm five nine when I'm clearly not. So. <laughs> And that's going to be obvious when we meet. So I don't get the point about lying about anything. So like these are, and the thing is, everything that I'm I just mentioned about this guy are all major red flags. And these are all things that I knew within the first two months. But yet we still got stronger and stronger after that. And it's obviously a a game that he plays, Uh portraying, portraying him love bombing and portraying himself one way, and then as time goes on, you find out that. That is he's not who he portrays himself to be because after months of love bombing, he started doing the push pull technique, which is the whole timeline of everything is textbook narcissists. I didn't realize that until after the fact, because this is all stuff I started reading about narcissism and I started reading and watching Dr. Romney. This is all stuff that she discusses as well as all other narcissist experts. Everything that I dealt with with this guy was exactly textbook narcissist. And there were so many red flags, but I ignored all the red flags initially because of all the love bombing. And then once he- You didn't
1: ignore the red flags. You took the red flags, you made them into a quilt, and you cuddled up next to it. You were like, this is great. (laughs) That
0: is true. I romanticized them a little bit. because I, And that is the thing. That's what I will say. And that's what I learned. And that's what I want you to take away, listeners. Do not ever get involved with anyone, whether it's a relationship or a situationship or even a very close friends with benefits, which is basically a relationship in disguise. Do not do any of that if you are super lonely, because by default, you're going to ignore a plethora of red flags and draw yourself in to someone who is probably far, far beneath you as this person was. So that is what I want people to take away from this, because it's just, no matter how lonely you are, don't sacrifice yourself. Don't get involved with someone who doesn't work, much less have a career. Don't get involved with someone who doesn't have a car, much less a driver's license. Don't get involved who doesn't have his own bank account independently. Do not get involved with someone who's sexually inflexible and only wants what he wants but doesn't want to appease you and get your rocks off how you want to get off and do not get involved with someone who demands you do everything for them yet they do nothing for you and do not get involved with someone who ruins major events this guy ruined my birthday last year he ruined Florida, we went to Florida a year ago and I got a rental car. We were driving to all these different cities. I was exhausted. He ruined that. And do not get involved with someone where the relationship is not financially equal because I felt like when I was involved with this loser, we went from being 50 50 to it being 60 40 to it being 75 25. And no, 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 know your worth, people. And do not get involved with someone who is far, far, far beneath you like I did. And if you want to owe you money, yes. Oh, he does. He still owes me money because when we were in Florida and when we were in Buffalo, I was the one who paid for the rental cars. He just gave me gas, but he still needed to split the car 50 50. He still owes me for that. And then when we were in D.C., we never went to the charlie xcx concert and he still owes me for that ticket but honestly i am fine i am fine he still owes me money like i should send the father a bill for like a fucking grand but i am not because my piece is not worth me getting that money back it is
1: i'll get that money back for you sure (laughs) okay actually i (laughs) yes
0: yes someone could do it on my behalf
1: I'll go give me I I need a cut though because that's gonna take work
0: (laughs) but for real and that's what's fucked up about it because when we had started getting involved he was like love bombing the shit out of me always coming to me you know what I mean and you know everything was always 50 50 and shit and then it kind of slowly changed and then it was like oh can you charge this on your card I'll I'll give you my share and conveniently the share the was always forgotten on certain things towards the end of the whole i'm not even gonna call it a relationship or a situationship. situation ship i'm just gonna call it a fucking nightmare
1: but <laughs> the experience you had like, an experience i think because walking out of it you sound like you know next time i'm not lowering my standards next oh, time i see way. a red flag i'm walking away because i met this guy i can meet another guy you know he's not the only you know
0: what i mean Yes, exactly. And I have a lot of good friends. I have, I'm friends with a lot of people who are intelligent. I'm friends with a lot of people who do really well for themselves. Like oh my God, um,
1: you think I'm smart and, and, and I do well? well
0: you. Yeah, you included, but like my other <laughs> friends as well. And I'm friends with a lot of people who are like really successful and who look out for me and I look out for them. And once I started getting hurt in this situation, they all told me what to do and how I should just cold turkey ended and cut my losses and all this shit, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, But I chose to believe the lie I was told and brainwashed with. And that's the thing. If I would have I would have, if I was not in a lonely space, I would have never got involved with this fucker at all. This loser, rather. And that's my takeaway. There were so many red flags there, but I chose to romanticize them, much less ignore them. And I just want our listeners to not get involved in anything remotely serious with someone like this. I mean, don't even get involved with them at all. I wouldn't even want someone like this as a fucking fuck buddy now. But The whole point is, don't let your loneliness guide you to the wrong person's bedroom.
1: Mm, Can we cheers to that?
0: Yes, cheers to that.